We're going to be looking at John 14, if you want to turn there, and also in Joshua and in Hebrews. If you just want to mark that, we're going to start in John 14. I was thinking the other day that while we watch the news or we read the news or listen to it on the radio, it's easy for believers to observe the times and the seasons and what has been happening in the world over the past few years and uh, discern that things may not get better anytime soon. And perhaps that would give some of us cause for concern, especially if we have children or if we have grandchildren and we understand that our children and grandchildren may never know the America that we grew up in. They may never know the freedoms which we have had a privilege to enjoy for so long. And it's difficult to watch our nation and see as it experiences such turmoil and hatred, such fear and suspicion towards one another. And many of the events that we have witnessed over the past two years have just been horrific, absolutely horrific. Lawlessness abounds and our leaders do very little, if anything, about all that. And knowing prophecy, some of us, even in this church, I've talked with many of you, have just become fatalistic in our thinking. Well, you know, we we know it has to get worse before the Antichrist comes, and then Jesus is going to get us at some point out of all of this. But So I'm just going to stock up my food pantry, and I'm going to learn to grow a garden. Don't really know how to do that very well, but I'm going to learn. There's a lot of YouTube videos out there, and I'm just going to wait out the inevitable. And that just seems to be the heart of a lot of people. So we come to church and we sing and we listen, we fellowship, we love Jesus. But in our hearts, we're a little bit uneasy because we're watching and we're taking notice of what's taking place. And so we wonder, maybe we lay awake at night and think, what should I do with my finances? What am I going to do about my children and my grandchildren? What am I doing about these things that I am seeing on the horizon And unfortunately, the reason why we lay awake at night is because we struggle to enter into God's rest and to believe him, to believe what he has said to us, to trust him and and walk with him in the midst of our trouble. Or perhaps you're sitting here this morning and God has made incredible promises to you. Perhaps you're sick in your body and the Lord has said, I'm going to heal you. But then day after day, week after week, month after month, and year after year goes by, and you wonder, maybe I can't obtain the promise which the Lord has given to me. Maybe I never heard him in the first place, and doubt begins to come into your life. You know, before Jesus left the earth, he gave us a wonderful, wonderful promise. First, he told us that difficulties and persecutions and trials were going to come. But when he met with the disciples at the Last Supper, he gave them words of life. And I want to read that this morning in John chapter 14, verse 23, we'll start at. John 14, 23. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will follow my word and my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not follow my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the Helper, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you and not 
as the world gives, do I give it to you. So let not your heart be troubled and neither let it be afraid. You know, I believe that every single man or woman who's ever walked with God has been called to this exact same thing. Even in the Old Testament, we read time and time again, those men and women that walk with God do not fear. Abraham, Joshua, Gideon, many others, they were told not to be afraid, for God was with them. And the entire nation of Israel was told not to fear when they were leaving Egypt, and miracle after miracle after miracle took place. They watched it happen, yet they struggled to trust the Lord and have faith in his word, didn't they? And I find that so amazing. If we would just, Jesus said that if we would just follow his word, if we would just believe him, but yet we struggle so many times. The Lord had told Israel, and it's recorded in Deuteronomy chapter 7, God said, I've chosen you to be a treasured possession out of all the people of the earth. I love you. I'm faithful. I will keep my covenant with you. I will keep my covenant up to a thousand generations. Hallelujah. And I will bless you above all the people of the earth. I will remove your sickness and your disease. Just keep holding on. I will deliver you from your enemy. I will bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your fields and all of your cattle. I will bless. I will bless. I will bless. And God just goes on and on with all of these promises. And these people that God had made these promises to, they watched things happen, right? Extraordinary things. They saw the miracle of the 10 plagues. They actually watched the Red Sea open up. Can you imagine what that looked like? I did a study on that because there's this debate now, whether it was, you know, two feet deep and it was the Sea of Reeds. Well, I went into the Hebrew and I spent a whole month, 10 hours a day, just researching this because I had to know. And I can tell you, that is, an, that is not what took place. It is very clear when you go back to the original Hebrew where exactly it took place. And it was the Red Sea. Amazing move of God. They walked through on dry ground. They went out in the morning for 40 years. And they put, picked up bread that God has sent from heaven. Angels food. And if there were about two and a half to three million people there, you know how much bread that is? 640 boxcars of food fell out of the sky and landed in the right place because they were moving at the right time every single day. They watched as a cloud led them by day. A pillar of fire was there by night. They watched as water poured out of a rock and so much water, you know, in the flannel board thing when I was a kid, it was always like a garden hose pouring out. Oh no. 600,000 footmen. The Bible records men, plus their women, plus their children, plus all of their animals. It's closer to the Mississippi (laughs) dumping out of that rock. It's a lot of water. Their shoes never wore out. These people saw the miraculous faithfulness of God. And yet, it wasn't long until they just forgot. They just forgot about his miracles and faithfulness. And fear and unbelief begins to set in again. And they want to go back to enslavement. Exodus 15 records that right after they crossed the Red Sea, Miriam's dancing. They're singing a new song unto the Lord. She's dancing and playing that tambourine. It was was just marvelous what God had done. Deliverance from the hands of the enemy. Yet three days, just three days. There's that three again. Three days later, 
walking through the desert, they come to the bitter waters of Mara, and everybody just forgets what God has just done. Fear rises up in their heart, and they're asking Moses, did you bring us out here to kill us, Moses? These people are just constantly struggling with. Moses prays, and God moves. Bitter water is made sweet, and they're satisfied, and they move on to Mount Sinai. Moses goes up the mountain. What happens in the interim? They gather up their gold, melt it down, and make this graven image of this golden calf, the chosen people of God, worshiping this idol. And God had given them that gold before they left Egypt. So here they are worshiping an idol that they have created from the provision of God. And this was Israel's pattern the whole way through the wilderness. Even up until the point that they were standing at the Jordan River, ready to go in, they send the 12 spies, they come back, and they listen to the 10. Doubt and unbelief. They couldn't remember. There's no way God could give us the victory of all of this. Did you see the Red Sea open and the delivery from the army of Egypt? I mean, that was incredible. Nobody's seen anything like that before. Did you see that pillar of fire? Did you see the cloud? Did you see the water? Did you see the bread? God can't do it. I'm forgetting all about what he's done. They couldn't trust him. So this entire generation now was not allowed to enter in. Why? Because of doubt. And because of unbelief. And it was only the next generation, all those that are 20 years and younger, that were allowed to go into the promised land. And when they do, some familiar things take place. This time it was not the the Red Sea that opened up, but it was the Jordan River that opened up. Very similar circumstances. A new generation experiencing very similar moves of God. Are they going to trust Him? Are they going to enter into His rest? Are they going to walk with Him? This time it's not Moses parting the Red Sea with a staff, but it's four priests now with two staffs. And holding those staffs, they have the Ark of the Covenant. And we know the story. Then their feet walk into the water. The thing rolled open. So we're going to turn now to Joshua. Hopefully you got your finger in that place. Because I want you to notice how far back the water rolled up. Joshua chapter 3, verse 15 and 16. And as soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water, verse 16, the waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan. Isn't it wonderful that everything coming down from Adam was dried up. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I know where that river of doubt and unbelief comes from. Comes from the fall of one man. But it was all dried up here because of the faithfulness of God. Praise Him. And when you and I come into Christ, everything that was from Adam is cut off. I believe in generational curses, but not for the born-again believer. Because all things are made new at that time. And I don't have to worry about what my daddy or my granddaddy was doing. Because I was cut off from that and I was grafted in 
Amen. To a new vine. And I can walk with God now. I can enter into his rest and into his peace. I can be delivered from fear and anxiety and depression because everything back to Adam has been cut off. Hallelujah. And so this generation walks into the promised land. They see the miracles of the walls of Jericho come tumbling down. And they see the hailstones coming out of the sky and smiting their enemies. (laughs) They saw the sun stand still when they were battling the Amorites. Incredible things are taking place because they're believing again. And they're actively walking into God's rest. And God gave them rest from all, all those around them, the scripture says. And they served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that served with Joshua as well. And this is the only generation of Israel's entire history who did not walk in fear and in unbelief. Study out the Old Testament. Look at their history from the time Jesus came until today. And you'll see that that statement is absolutely true. They worship God. They walk with God. Yes, there was individuals and small groups throughout the Old Testament that walked with God and rested in his faithfulness. But on the whole, they were very small or they were alone. You don't see a whole lot of people walking with Elisha. You don't see very many with Jeremiah. Very, very few people who believe God. Most of Israel did not worship the Lord. And when trouble came... They fell apart like a sandcastle on the beach. And every now and then they'd have a righteous judge or they'd have a righteous king. But for the most part, they walked in fear. They walked in doubt. They walked in defeat and unbelief. And every man just did what was right in their own eyes. And the tribes even fought each other. Absolute chaos. And finally, they just demand a king. We want to be like the rest of the nations. Give us a king that would rule over us. I don't, we don't want to be led by the Lord. We don't want them to take time to put into this ourselves, develop that relationship. We just want a king to tell us what to do. It's astounding to me that the chosen people of God did not know his rest. Not one generation. From King Saul all the way to King Herod, not one generation knew the rest of God. Not one. They were all invited. But they would not. And the scripture declares that God actually swore in his wrath. They will not enter in. They're not going to enter into the rest with me. And as we read through the scriptures, we find that this is true. All the way up until the time of Christ. No rest. So the writer of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 4. I'm going to flip over there. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. Let us therefore fear. Lest the promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into his rest. Hallelujah. What did we believe? We believe the gospel. We believe the good news that still saves lives that are just rotting with sin. He restores. He makes everything new. But up until the time of Christ, the people were not able to enter in. They forgot everything that had happened time 
and time and time again. But Jesus told us in John 14, didn't he? He told us that the helper, the spirit whom the father will send in his name, he's going to teach us all things, praise God, and he is going to bring to our remembrance all that he has said to us. So you don't have to forget anymore. Praise God. We couldn't remember anything before. I remember even in my own life, the things that God had done in, in my life. I couldn't even recognize what he was doing. And I couldn't remember what he had done. Even today, I struggle with that. The disciples were the same way. We all know the story as you read through the Gospels, how they're getting ready to send the people away. They don't have any food. There's 5,000 men that have come out. We don't have nothing here but this young boy who's got these five loaves and these two fish. What in the world are we going to do with all of this, Jesus? And Andrew is standing there, and he, he's so wonderful. I love the, the disciple, Andrew. He's always bringing people to Jesus. You notice that? Like his ministry is always bringing people to Jesus. So he brings the little boy to Jesus, and he tells him, Lord, this is what we got. But what is it amongst so many? What is it amongst so many? He had seen all kinds of miracles walking with Christ every day, but here he can't remember. Just got amnesia. And they get into the boat right after this. Jesus does the miracle. 5,000 men and their families are fed. Then they get into the boat. The storm comes. Jesus comes walking on the water. Wow, what is this? They think it's a spirit. They're terrified. Don't worry, it's me. Peter cries out. If it's you, call me to walk on the water. He gets out of the boat. He walks on the water. But then suddenly he just forgets what's going on here. And he's looking at the circumstances around him. He takes his eyes off of Jesus. What happens? Fear, unbelief, doubt begins to come in. And it begins to sink. He struggles. Jesus catches him by the hand and asks him the question, Why did you doubt? They get in the boat. The wind stops. They're all amazed at what just took place. Didn't they remember wouldn't this at some point just become like, wow, yeah, praise God. We're all, no, they're just constantly dumbfounded. They go to the other side. The demon possessed that were in the caves come out. They're delivered. They're in their right mind. The pigs are all drowned. The sick are healed. The Canaanite woman's daughter is restored. Jesus heals the lame, the blind, the dumb, the maimed. That means that he actually grew arms back on people that had, had their, lost their arms. The ear thing that happened in the garden, that wasn't the first time that happened. He feeds another 4,000, this time with seven loaves. And after this big picnic, they take one loaf with them, according to Mark chapter 8. If you've ever noticed that. They take one loaf with them. They get in the boat again. They're crossing the sea. They come to another place. And here comes the Pharisees to accuse Jesus. Show us the sign that you come from heaven. And the disciples say nothing. And they've just been watching all these signs and wonders take place. And they don't say a word. That's recorded. It's like they just forgot everything that just happened. Oh yeah, Jesus, show them a sign. It's going to happen. They get back in the boat again and they're sailing on the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus begins to teach them to be wary of the leaven of the Pharisees. They don't understand. And so immediately they think, well, we are kind of hungry. We've only got one loaf of bread here. And so he's talking to us about this leaven of the Pharisees because we only brought one loaf. And what is that? It's only one loaf. And 
Remember before, like there was five and they fed one loaf to a thousand. They've got 13 men. It's like, we've only got one loaf. What are we going to do? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Constantly doubting. Constantly failing to remember what Jesus had done. Never understanding anything that he was saying. And sadly, even though we've been delivered from all of this, because we know his voice, because we've been given a new spirit, because the Holy Spirit has now been placed within us, and because he's teaching us and he's bringing things to remembrance, we still fall into this rut at times. He saves us. He writes our name in his precious book. He delivers us from addiction, depression, and he fills our life with joy and peace, and he gives us a sound mind. Praise God. He washes me. He makes me new, sets his spirit within us, and he cleanses me from all unrighteousness and teaches me to walk in his statutes. He keeps every promise he's ever made to me, and yet I find myself watching the evening news taking notice of the things that are happening in our world right now, struggling with the promises that he's made that they haven't come to pass on my timeline, and suddenly I'm doubting him again. I fall apart in that moment. I feel like, where is this rest that he promised me? promised that he would help us remember the disciples had not been given the holy spirit yet they couldn't remember anything so jesus himself asked them a question who do men say that i am oh you're elijah john the baptist one of the prophets of old Who do you say that I am? And Peter in that moment, it's like he just stepped into the rest of God with confidence, with boldness, and with this incredible revelation, he just says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus speaks to him and says, blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. Because he had given a response that was based upon a revelation and upon faith. And he entered into God's rest for just a moment. And this is what God has been after ever since Abraham. A people that would walk in faith. The law was given as a schoolmaster just to teach us those things. To teach us to enter into his rest, who is Christ. So my question is, why do we struggle so much? If we have entered into this new covenant, if we've been given this revelation and faith, why do we think that we have to figure it all out? Why do we think that we have to understand the timeline? Why do we think that we have to know what's going to happen 20 years from now? 10 years from now? Or 2 years from now? Can't we just enter into God's rest? Can't we just walk with Him? Paul asked the Galatians the question. He said, were you saved by something that you did? Or were you saved by something that I did? And if you began in the Spirit, are you actually going to be perfected somehow by the flesh? Do you think that you're actually in your own strength? You're going to accomplish something? 
You're actually going to plan and you're going to hit it just right. It's not what we're called to. We're called to walk in the Spirit. And if you've been born again, you've been adopted into a brand new family. Amen? You're no longer your own. That means that all of my desires and my timeline need to be laid down. And if we did that, probably 75 to 80 to 90% of all of our anxiety would just leave in a heartbeat. If we just did that. If we just knew that. But there's more to it than that because we have to realize that when we are adopted into his family, it's not just about me laying things down, but it's that he picks me up. Hallelujah. And I now become God's responsibility. He said that he would feed me. He said that he would clothe me. He said that he would bless me. And I can rest in his provision and in his comfort. And his care, knowing that he will provide all of my needs. And this generation that crossed the Jordan River with Joshua, they walked with God. We crossed that river too, didn't we? If you've been born again, you know that we have. And Peter says that we have a more sure word of prophecy than what they had. It's a greater covenant because it's not dependent upon me keeping the law. It's upon me abiding in Christ who kept the law for me. Hallelujah. Paul said that everything that happened to Israel happened for an example for you and I. So after they crossed the river, how did they win the victory at Jericho? How did they win the victory? How did they enter into God's rest? By instruments and actions of worship. That's how they did it. The river had been rolled back till Adam. They crossed the Jordan and they renewed the covenant by circumcising, circumcising themselves. And then they have the first Passover in the land, remembering all that God had done for them. You can read all about that in Joshua chapter 4. Joshua meets this angelic being, the commander of the army of the Lord, and he worships the Lord at that moment. And then after that, he had worshipped, he was given instruction. And that instruction led to more worship. And one of the greatest victories that every single child learns in children's church took place that day. My children love that. Even last night, we want to build the walls of Jericho. And we have this little place between our two couches where they stack up the pillows, you know, and they march around and we read the story and they blow the trumpet and then ah, they run through. We even have a lamb that we set on top of the walls and mock them as they, you know, what do you think you're God? I don't believe your God even is real. Trying to prepare them for this world. And my children have such confidence. You don't know what you're talking about, little lamb. God's going to knock down these walls. We're worshiping here. The scripture says that we must come with faith like a child to believe God, to enter into his rest and just to know that what he said he is going to do in our life. So how do we worship? Is it just coming in here to the choir of praise and lifting our hands? Well, that's part of it, singing. But look at the pattern of Israel. First, they recognize what had happened to them when they crossed the river and they recognize the ground 
that they were now standing on. It's a whole new territory. The rules have just changed if you've been born again. Because you're placed into a different family now. Old things have passed away. Everything's become new. Given a whole new life. Now just learn to live by it. I've been changed into something that I was not before. A miracle took place within me. What good is it for you to do something if that action is not an extension of who you really are? What good is it for you to do something if that action is not an extension of who you really are? You shouldn't be at work the way you are at church. You should be at church the way you are at work. We should just be real. It's a whole new life. It's not just actions, but it's a life that produces the actions. True worship does not take place just because I'm at a certain location or it's a certain time and the canary is going to sing and we're all going to join. No, no. Joshua's worship began when he saw the commander of God's army. So it doesn't just begin with an action on our part, but it begins with a resu- re- like a revelation on his part. And there's times where I think every one of us can attest to this, where we don't feel like worshiping. Not at all. We're like that wheelbarrow, you know? We're not going to go any further than we're pushed. Mark Twain said, the only one that likes change is the wet baby. So true. So what do we do? We stir up the gift of God that is within us. What is the gift of God? It's the Holy Ghost. It's the Holy Spirit, our helper, our comforter, who will bring to remembrance the things which Christ has spoken unto us. Amen. The revelation of God that he's given unto you. And then we begin to worship with an outward expression from an inward manifestation that God has done in our life. Something is real on the inside. And we lift our hands because the God who made heaven and earth and humbled himself and came down here and walked and made footprints on the dust of the very planet that he created allowed men to beat him and mock him and to pull out his beard and to drive nails through his flesh as he hung there naked on an old rugged cross for you. And for me, so that we could enter into this rest that we're talking about today, that he's prepared for those that loved him from the very foundation of the world. We can love him and we can lift our hands and we can worship him because as we sang this morning, he is worthy. He's worthy of it. Amen. He's worthy because he made a way for us to be given a whole new set of faculties so that I could walk now in a whole new kingdom that's not full of doubt, that has no unbelief. First John actually says that the new creation, it's impossible for them to sin. It's impossible for them to doubt. All of unbelief is coming out of Adam. And if we would realize that when we crossed that river, it was rolled all the way back to Adam, then I could see that I don't have to live from that source anymore. That river was dried up and there was a whole new river that was poured into my life. The river of the Spirit of God that brings remembrance to my soul and floods my heart with peace like a river, joy like a fountain. Amen. Praise God. So don't live from that old source. 
Don't allow doubt and unbelief and fear to just creep up into the sound mind that God has given you. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, we're very familiar with this. Don't get drunk with wine, for that's just debauchery. Success, but be filled with the Spirit. And address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody with our hearts to the Lord, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So we worship by being filled with the Spirit. Because it's the Spirit that brings the revelation. He's the one that brings the remembrance. So praise and adoration just begins to roll out of me when I realize and I remember that my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And that this world is no longer my home. I'm just passing through. And so I can sing and I can worship and I can say, you are worthy of it all. And even though I can have concern for tomorrow and I can make preparation for tomorrow as the Lord gives me wisdom and discernment and I can pray for my lost family and I can pray for my children who are so small, so tender, but I can rest in the fact that where sin abounds, grave does much more abound. And so I can worship the Lord and I can give thanks for the provision that he has given by his grace. Amen. He's such a wonderful provider. I know this is a very short message this morning because I'm closing. But it's easy for us to give attention to the things of this world. Who hasn't looked at the news or read something or looked at your 401k and fear begins to rise up in your heart? Frustration with the lack of justice that we're seeing. Disappointment with how we thought God was going to move in our life. Or how we thought that he was going to come and change things. Or we prayed that this would happen and it didn't happen. We prayed that my mom would live and then suddenly she just dies. But you know, we are to set our affection on things above. Not on the things of the earth. But our heart is hidden with Him. Give thanks then for who He is. That He's worthy of all blessing and honor and glory. He has redeemed you, church. He has called you by name. <laughs> when you are totally unable, when you are too blind to see, when you are too lame, when you are too maimed, this world having cut pieces off of you, you were so crippled. You couldn't remember anything, and you'd see miracles happen in other people's life, but you never recognized it was God. Then he began to do miracles in your life before you were saved. You didn't recognize it as him. It was just rolling the dice. But God Almighty in his love, his compassion, and his mercy, he reached down from glory pulled you and I out of the filth and the mire of this world and he adopted us as his own he sent his beloved son to come and die for you and I and went to prepare a place for us in glory and having done all that do you think that he's just going to abandon you in this hour do you think that he does not have a plan and have thoughts towards you that are good 
want to remind you that some of us are in a better place than others this morning. Some of us are yelling and shouting amen with me because you've got peace. You've entered into God's rest. But there's others in this room that are struggling in the season that they're in. There's difficulty. There's trial. There's pain and frustration and disappointment in their life. So I want to remind you that worship is not just you and Jesus. It's corporate. And it's to love one another. When they went in to gather their portion of the land, Judah was to go up first into his portion. But he immediately turns to Simeon and he says, Simeon, you come up with me. Help me to get the victory. And then I'm going to go up with you. And I'm going to help you get your victory. So work the altar. Love one another. Worship together. Because worship is not just singing. It's life. And it produces service to my brother, to my sister. The scripture we read in Ephesians says, submitting to one another out of reference for Christ. So we prefer one another. We don't just come to church to get. We come to give. Give your part of the body of Christ. Stand with me. Hallelujah.